1: Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton.
2: God, in His grace and in His love and in His mercy for us, He came down and He rescued us. We were slaves to our sin, and He came down and He saved us. We were without hope, and He came in and rescued us through the cross. And our salvation should affect our conduct. Knowing that, of what we were, That should affect our conduct. That should affect the way that we live. That should affect our behavior.
1: If you were taken by force and were in bondage to human trafficking, you'd never forget the person or the organization that rescued you out of that lifestyle and set you free in a new kind of life apart from that horrible existence. Did you realize that it's exactly the same way when God rescues you from your sinful lifestyle and sets you free from that bondage? Today, Pastor Dan helps you see that the bondage of the Israelites was released similarly to the bondage of your sin that you're freed from. Now, here's Pastor Dan in the book of Amos chapter 3 for today's edition of Ring of Truth.
2: Lord Jesus, we're so grateful just to be here. Uh, Lord, we don't take it for granted. And we're just grateful for it, Lord. We praise you for who you are, for what you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, for calling us out of the world, calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light and making us your sons and daughters. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. We're currently in the book of Amos. If you want to turn there in your Bible for me, please. Amos chapter 3. We're also going to look um, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, Deuteronomy 28. So if you want to go ahead and find that in your Bible, so when the time comes, you can turn there quickly. Uh, Amos chapter 3, Deuteronomy chapter 28, Amos 3, Deuteronomy 28, and let me pray for us before we get into our study. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's alive and it's powerful and that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And we thank you for the way that your word speaks to us and ministers to us. We thank you for the way that your word gives us understanding uh, so that we can walk circumspectly in these days, redeeming the time, knowing that the days are evil. And so, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word. I pray that your spirit would be upon me to teach your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we began the book of Amos the last time we were together. So just as kind of a review, uh, Amos ministered uh, during uh, a time, the time when the kingdom of Israel was divided. Uh, after the reign of King Solomon, Israel fell into civil war and split into two separate kingdoms. And so you had the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, Uh, Ten of the tribes of Israel went with the northern kingdom. And then you had the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. Judah and Benjamin made up the southern kingdom. And so Amos ministered in a time of great division and strife in the nation. Uh, Amos was born in a small village in the southern kingdom of Judah, in a small village called Tekoa. Uh, And Tekoa was near the town of Bethlehem. Uh, even though Amos was born and raised in the southern kingdom, God called him to preach to the people living in the northern kingdom. Again, during a time when the nations are di- the nations divided, God calls Amos to go minister to the people in the northern kingdom. He's the only one of the minor prophets that God called to go to the other kingdom to preach. Uh, remember also that uh, Amos was a simple shepherd, And a fig picker, (laughs) he picked figs for a living. And yet God called him to proclaim the word, which shows us that God can use anyone. In fact, God likes to use the most unlikely and the most unqualified people so that he gets all the glory for what is accomplished through that person. And that's good news for us. Uh, because we're pretty unlikely and unqualified people, right? Um, and so he uses Amos. Uh, he calls Amos. He equips Amos. Again, you know, God uh, doesn't, doesn't look for ability. He looks for availability, right? And if you're available and you're willing to obey him, God will use you. And so now chapter three begins a new section that continues through chapter 5. If you look at chapter 3, verse 1, it begins with the words, Hear this word. Now look over at chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word. Chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this word. And so, in this section, Amos declares the word of God to the people. Now look back in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Hear this word that the Lord, it's in all capital letters, Yahweh, has spoken against you. Not to you, but against you. O children of Israel, against the whole family, which I brought up from the land of Egypt. So this is spoken to the whole family of Israel, not just the northern kingdom, even though he's in the northern kingdom ministering and preaching. This is a message for the whole family both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, all of Israel. And notice God says, which I brought up from the land of Egypt. Now, in the Old Testament, God often repeats to the children of Israel that he brought them up from the land of Egypt. If you just look back in chapter 2, verse 10, also it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of The Amorites. This is something that God repeats continually throughout the Old Testament. He reminds the children of Israel that He is the one that brought them out of Egypt. Now, why does God do this? Uh, It's not not like your mom saying, you know, I spent 27 hours in labor delivering you, you know, like you're going to do what I'm telling you to do. No. The reason he does this, I'm going to share a few other verses with you that I think will give you kind of a sense of why God keeps repeating this. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but back in Leviticus chapter 26, uh, Leviticus 26, verse 13, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright or uprightly here. So, so here God says that he delivered them. He brought them out of the land of Egypt that they should not be their slaves to set them free. To set them free. He's the one who set them free. They were slaves. There was nothing they could do to change their situation or to get themselves out of their slavery, out of their condition God is the one who set them free from their slavery, and he reminds them of that so that they could walk uprightly, he says. Uh, In Leviticus chapter uh, 11, verse 45, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So there he says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, to have a relationship with you where I will be your God. You will be my people. I'll dwell with you in the midst of you, in the midst of your camp, in the tabernacle, and I will be your God. And since God is holy, God says to Israel, you shall therefore be holy for I am holy. Uh, One more verse for you. Psalm uh, 81 verse six. God speaking says, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign gods among you, nor shall you worship any foreign gods. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will Fill it. So again, God continually reminded Israel that he is the one who rescued them from their slavery. He's the one who delivered them from their bondage. He delivered them from the cruelty of the slave masters in Egypt. They owe their lives to the Lord. Uh, if it wasn't for the Lord, they would still be slaves in Egypt is the idea. And, and knowing that should affect their conduct and it should affect their heart toward the Lord. They should live their lives in the light of what God did for them when he delivered them out of Egypt. And so too for us. So too for us, we should live our lives in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross to rescue us from sin and death. He died to deliver us. And as you read through the New Testament, the New Testament repeatedly reminds us of our great salvation through Jesus Christ the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, just like the children of Israel in Egypt. There was nothing we could do. There was nothing. We had no power in ourselves to change our condition or to get ourselves out of the situation we were in because of sin. But God, in his grace and in his love and in his mercy for us, he came down and he rescued us. We were slaves to our sin and he came down and he saved us. We were without hope and he came in and rescued us through the cross. And our salvation should affect our conduct. Knowing that, of what we were, that should affect our conduct. That should affect the way that we live. That should affect our behavior.
1: You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first... Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth.
2: 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, You were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Jesus purchased us with his own precious blood. We belong to him. We are his blood-bought children, and so we should glorify God in our body, in the way that we now live our lives. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live in a way that is worthy or fitting of the gospel. In other words, live like people who have been redeemed from sin and redeemed from death. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 says, Walk worthy of the Lord. Again, in in light of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, we should walk worthy of that and live in a way that matches that is, is the idea. Paul says, it's the love of Christ that compels me to serve him and to live for him. Because of what he did for me, that compels me to live for him. And this is why, in the Old Testament, this is why the Lord God constantly reminded the children of Israel of what he did for them and delivering them from Egypt. Uh, it's the same thing with, with communion. Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and take this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. We, we declare the Lord's death to who? To ourselves. That he died for us. That he gave his life for us. And we, we need to be constantly reminded of the high price that Jesus paid to save us. And and so again, here in Amos, we see the Lord say, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Verse 2, he says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. You're the only family I've known. You know, God chose one man, Abraham. And through Abraham came Isaac, and through Isaac came Jacob, and through Jacob came the nation of of Israel. And to this one family, God revealed himself. He made a covenant with them. He gave them his word. Romans chapter 9 verse 4 says the people of Israel were chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. And yet Israel rejected God. Israel turned from God. They rejected his word. They rejected his ways. They rebelled against him. And here God says, you're, you're the only family I've had this relationship with. You're the only family that I've entered into this covenant with. You're the only family on the whole earth. You're the only nation of people that I've made these, these promises to. And you've rebelled against me. And, and so, therefore, I will punish you for all of your iniquities. And then he says, can, look at verse 3. Can two walk together? Unless they are agreed. Two can only walk together if they agree on the direction. The people of Israel were not walking the same direction as the Lord God. They were going a different direction. You, you Listen to me. Give me your attention. You cannot disagree with God and at the same time walk with God. It's impossible. You can't say, well, I, I walk with God. I, I'm a Christian, but but I disagree with what the Bible says here and I disagree with what the Bible says there and I don't believe what the Bible says about this and I don't believe what the Bible says about that and I just, I just disregard this part and I disregard that part. Y- you have to be in agreement with the Lord to walk with him. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord but you don't do the things I say? In other words, I'm clearly not your Lord. If, if I'm your Lord, you would obey me. You would do the things I say to do. And, and here it's, well, we can't walk together if you don't agree with me. It's not possible. In you know, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus tells us to, to take my yoke upon you. That's what he says. And the idea of taking the yoke of Jesus Christ upon us is now we're saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is in control. He's the one steering things. I'm the one obeying. He's the one giving the commands. I'm the one responding. I'm going the direction he tells me to go. That's the nature of the relationship here. And now beginning in verse 4, the Lord asks a series of rhetorical questions here. He says in verse 4, Will a lion roar in the forest? When he has no prey, will a young lion cry out of his den? If he has caught nothing, will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid And then look at the end of verse 6. If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Now, the the answer to each question is obvious to the reader. It may not be so obvious to us living in the 21st century, but the answers are obvious to the reader. For example, uh, a bird will not fall into a snare if there is no trap for it. Right? If there's no trap there, it's not going to get caught in the trap. That makes sense. Of course not. So... What the Lord does here is he gives kind of these logical, obvious questions with obvious answers to the reader that lead up to the question in verse 6. The question is, if there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Now, the, the answer to this question should have been obvious to the people of Israel. If judgment comes against their cities... Everyone should know it's the Lord. It's the hand of God against them for their sin. It's it's just logical. But Israel dismissed the calamities in their nation. And I want you to get this. It was obviously the hand of the Lord against the nation. But the people just dismissed what was happening. They just explained things away. They said, well, you know, it's not God's judgment bringing these calamities upon our nation. And again, you know, he's kind of saying, this is a no-brainer here. Right? Just like the other questions. These are easy-peasy questions. And there's, no, that that can't be it. Now look at verse 7. Surely, the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants the prophets god warned israel for decades through the prophets that he would judge them for their rebellion if they did not turn back to him and so when the judgment came upon the nation they should have realized it for what it what it was god told them all along this is what's going to happen if you rebel this is where it's going to lead to but instead they denied that it was the Lord's judgment. Now, verse 7 is a really important verse for us. You should highlight it in your Bible or circle it or put a little star by it or whatever it is you do. It says that God reveals his secrets to his prophets. And then the prophets declare it to his people. Now, this is why it's important for us to study God's word, especially prophecy. It's important for us to be students of the word, especially prophecy, because God revealed his future plan for this world in the scriptures. And studying prophecy helps us to understand where things are heading in this world that we're living in. It helps us make sense of the things and the events we see going on all around us currently. And how they fit into God's plan for the last days. You know, uh, 27% of your Bible, 27% is prophecy. You know, one in four verses are prophecy. And so it's, you know, if you're going to ignore prophecy, you're going to ignore 25% of the Bible. But the reason God now, he reveals what his plan is through his prophets so that his people can understand what's going on in the world that they're living in, make sense of things based on what the scriptures say. So it's important for us to study these things and to know these things so that we can look at what's happening in the world and where things are heading and what's going on and we can see how it lines up with God's plan for the last days. So verse 8. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Amos says, God has spoken. I, 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 had, to, I had to declare the message. I had to prophesy. I had to share. It. I couldn't keep it to myself. You know, God has given us the gospel Message to declare to the whole world
3: he asked me how I know, I say truer than the finest crystal
1: Amos 4 verse 10 says I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt I killed your young men with the sword and I carried away your horses and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils yet you did not return to me declares the Lord. The first half of chapter 4 contains many words just like this, where the Lord says, I sent hard, hard things your way, but you didn't return to me. Often we look at hard things as outside the will of God. Certainly, a God who loves us wouldn't send difficulties our direction, or would He? As a loving God, a loving parent, He will do what He needs to do to get our attention and draw us back to Him. Examine your own life today. Is there anything you know is not right? Bring it before the Lord today. Turn your heart toward Him. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Sexton right here on Ring of Truth, a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in Columbia, Maryland. You live in the area? We'd love to meet you. Come join us on a Sunday morning for worship. You can find all the information you need at CalvaryEC.com. Once again, the website is CalvaryEC.com. And for those of you who aren't in the area, head on over to iTunes and find our podcast. We have so many more great messages to share with you. Well, we are running out of time for today, but we want you to know that we are praying for you. So come back and see us again next time for another great message on Ring of Truth. I see the
3: signs and I recognize.